Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. Um. I've been wrestling with, with the Lord for several months, actually longer than that. How many of you know that we are actually a prophetic church? Okay, we're, we're nuts. Compared to a lot of things, we, we, we see things differently, we respond differently. <clears throat> and there has been a multitude of deaths from people I'm in business with to family members, I mean, of the, of the, of the church, uh, old Young, shouldn't go, ready to go, and it's, it, there's just there's this emotion that we we have to learn to, to process. And I have not um, processed some of it. Uh, I wouldn't say I haven't processed it properly. I just decided not to process it. Um, and it's not always healthy. But I can tell you that in the, in the last 10 days, two weeks, I realized that, oh, sting, where is your death? Oh, death, where is your sting? Which one is it? Oh, sting, where is your death? Depends on what, how you're looking at it. And, and, and the bottom line is, is as, a, as a prophet, I have, over the years, been given assignments to deal with prophets that had character issues or flaws that God was trying to get healed or he was going to take them home. And over the years, I've lost people that I had poured my life into. And so I backed off. And and I really, really have been challenged with the subject of eternal life. When you're dealing with a non-believer, you should grieve more than when you're dealing with a believer. Because a non-believer doesn't go to heaven and spend time with Jesus. That should actually grieve us more. And I really believe I've had the wrong perspective. There are people like my father at 93. You know, he kind of he earned his right to go. Papa Jack, he earned his, he, you know, there was some prophecy that said he should have lasted longer, but, you know, he told Brian Higby, God told Brian Higby, he has enough equity with me, he can do what he wants to do. And what, is, what has happened is I don't think we have valued the eternal life, and we've made it eternal life on earth and eternal life in heaven is, is, is not the same. I can tell you my father's been gone since June the 2nd, two years ago. I have actually learned more from him in heavenly encounters that, about the spiritual things of life than I have when he was alive. My father teaches classes in heaven. Novel idea. 
And what I really want to do is to go off into some of this. I mean, my elders and I made a decision that with my shoulder surgery, I, you know, I didn't preach for nine weeks and I kind of enjoyed it. Um, and now I want to go off into La La Land. And God won't let me go off into La La Land. He's having me come back to the basics. Last week we preached on um, being free from sin. This week I'm going to preach on being free from the law. Last week we found that we're free from sin. This week we're going to find that we're free from the law. Romans chapter 7. Can you see? Is that big enough? Do I need to increase the font on this? Okay. Okay. Um, listen, when I do a PowerPoint, the, the reason I do a PowerPoint, and I have sent both last week's and this week's to, to Preston and, and Angel and, and, and Thomas and Rodney and Pastor Mike and Kevin, I've sent both last week and this week's PowerPoint notes. Because this is the foundation of our identity in Christ. And I really believe that when we get past some of these foundational things of who we are in Christ, the supernatural will now become natural. We've been making supernatural an out there when it's supposed to be an in here. Okay, so Romans chapter 7, for I know the, the things good, that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Catch that. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For when I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Last week we described ourselves as, as a new person, a new creation, a new operating system, a new mankind in Christ, did we not? I want you to get those notes and study this stuff. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to change who you really think you are. If we don't, your behavior is going to continue to be the same. It's our identity. We are new persons. God did not come to improve people. He did not come to fix anyone. He came to kill you and resurrect you from the dead. Get this. I believe the American church has got sweet baby Jesus on their mind, thinking that this sweet baby Jesus is the one that set you free and gave you a transformation. And it isn't. It's the Lion of Judah that died, was buried, and rose again. 
So the sweet baby Jesus mentality of the church has got to be buried. You no longer have a sinful nature. Remember the old Flip Wilson skit? The devil made me do it. Really? It's not, it's not just that God helps us to be a little better. He turns us into a totally new person. We are now something different than we were before. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ joins himself to us, and we are now progressively increasing in the conformity into the image of the Lord Jesus. That's why the people named their church Journey Church. If this is the case, then how on earth did Paul come up with this chapter? Far too many believers make this section of Scripture their life text. If you're making Romans chapter 7 an excuse to live a bad lifestyle, you need to get saved. You need to read it, and you need to study it, and you need to get over it, and you need to repent for looking for that as an excuse. Was Paul describing a condition of someone who was not yet born again? Or was he saying that even mature Christians are doomed to live a psycho life where part of us wants to serve God and part of us wants to serve the devil? He was talking about the impossibility of serving God in our own power. Say that, own power. I cannot serve God. In my own strength. And when you think you can, you become a, re- a religious horse's patoot. That's about as good as I can get. <laughs> That's not on the notes. Romans 6, last week, we see that we are free from sin. This chapter will see the fact that we are also free from the law. Even as the law works on someone before they become to Christ to the point where they're in the need of Christ. The law continues to drive the Christian to see that in ourselves we are utterly helpless. If you haven't figured it out that you are helpless, then you will not surrender to Holy Spirit and look for the proper help. That we are completely weak and unable to obey the law perfectly, because it is only at this point we can rest completely in Christ. If I think that I have one iota of spiritual strength in myself, I'm wrong. I will continue to concentrate on the little bit of strength that I think I do. Thursday, I went and did business with a man that that I have actually worked for as a national sales manager for five years. Five years I've worked with this man. How many times do you think he realized I was a Christian in five years? 150 times. Not once has he ever had a conversation with me until Thursday. We went to a, to a call in, in the middle of the state who a man who, who has tremendous influence with an account that we've been trying to get. I showed up with a Jack Taylor book in one of my books because he was, he was a he adored Jack Taylor, and when he found out that I was a Jack Taylor son several years ago, I put him on the phone and talked to Jack, and he talked to his pastor, and but I brought him a book. And this guy opens up. Well, I had actually kept Ron from him because I'm teaching Ron politically 
not to tell the boss what you think. So I didn't let Ron go with us during the day. But we came back, and I said, hey, you want to go get a cigar? We sat at a cigar bar, smoking a cigar, and this man opens up about, I love Christ, but I don't know how to do what you do. I've watched you for years. You have something, and Ron starts pulling his prophetic hat on. He gives me that, do I have permission to read his mail look? I'm like, we're off the clock, dude. We're smoking cigars. Ron proceeds to read his mail. Unlocks this thing. Now, I was in a, actually, Anthony came, and I was in a choice because I was actually going to, dump him off and let Ron take him to Altamont closer to his house and not go to dinner with him and come to Bible study. I'm like, mm, Ron just Ron just pulled about pulled three band-aids off of him. And so we went to dinner till 1030. I shared wisdom with him. He shared his love of God with me that he has ne- messed him up. And I kept telling him, I said, listen, you're a king. The problem is, is you are steeped in religion, and this is why you're that. And he's got a grandma. I'm going to meet her one day, evidently. And I'm like, listen, now, you need to act like a king, and you need to be expected to be treated like a king. That was my last words to him at 1030 at night. He sends me a text. Well, this kingly stuff is working real good. I just got an upgrade to an executive suite. <laughs> he goes, fun hanging around you. I said that to say this, there's people when I was growing up that would have told me that Jesus wouldn't have done that in a cigar shop. Anybody had that raising? Ron and I are still surprised Jesus talks to us in a cigar shop. (laughs) When I know there is nothing left in me that can live this life, then I will be forced to rest completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand the law is designed to prove to you you cannot do it on your own? When we talk about the law, let's remember what we mean by that. The law, of course, is summed up in Ten Commandments. The very term law means that God is requiring something of me. There is a law of the land, which means that the land is requiring something from me. God's law means that God is requiring something of us. Or we could say that the law implies the doing on my part of certain rules that have to be kept. So every time you read the law, you're thinking of your part of what to do. So when you read, thou shalt not bear false witness, what comes back to you and says, you must not lie. You must tell the truth. The The world of the law is this. You must, you should, you ought, you shall, you shall not. The whole principle of the law is God requiring that you and I do something. Now listen, this is a hard message. This is a stupid message for a preacher. Because if we just stop here, everybody volunteering will quit. 
When we first come to Christ in those early moments, when I moved out of the old age and came into the new age, at that moment I, I knew helplessness. Isn't it amazing that when we think, say things like the honeymoon stage with Jesus, you were helpless is why it was a honeymoon. You were helpless without him, and you adored him, and you surrendered to him in every capacity. That's why it was a honeymoon. I have faced the wrath of God against my sin. I've said that just holy, righteous wrath. It's just holy, righteous wrath. I can do nothing. Christ has done all, and so I helplessly, hopelessly receive Christ's salvation. I cast myself onto God's salvation. Now that the moment, we, at that moment, we know helplessness. Listen, don't get just confused with hopelessness. Different, different subject. Helplessness. I cannot do this. How many of you have heard God's voice say, go repent to your father or go repent to your spouse or go repent to the person that did you wrong? And you wrestle it to the point where you come to this, I cannot do this. But you make a choice to do it. But we rapidly lose the sense of helplessness. We're standing in, in grace now, and we know that we are free from the power of sin. We look at the grace of God, and we are overwhelmed by the glorious grace of God. We're overwhelmed that we are free in Christ. Around us and within us, there is a desire to please God. That is natural. After all, He has done for us, we lay down our life because of what He's done for us. I remember when I was a little boy, I would hear preaching with those very words. After all that Jesus did for you, the least you can do is for him, and you can... Listen, I, I, I answered an altar call at 12 to be a missionary to Africa. I have since repented. <laughs> Why? Because it's a conviction. It's in the moment. And everything Jesus did for me, let me go surrender my life. And listen, if you hear the voice of God to surrender, surrender. But I can tell you, that wasn't my calling. After all that Jesus did for you, he rose from the dead. I can't even get out of bed an hour early and pray. Because Jesus has shown you so much grace, at least you can do is give your life away to him going on the mission field. I already did that. Not because God called you, but because Jesus has died for you. At least you could do is die in a malaria field swamp somewhere. And preach the gospel. I'm sure you've heard it all. Amen. I'm not going to Mexico. <laughs> Surely, I can thank him by doing better than I did before. Surely, I should be able to do better now. I mean, I am no longer under the power of sin. Sin is no longer my dominion, so surely I should be able to do better than I did before. And if you join the church of which there are many brands and styles, we're probably, <clears throat> you're probably present with the, presented with all the new rules. We have to remember that churches who promote the things that I'm about to say are doing the best they could. 
We're all growing in revelation, and so let's not just point fingers and get angry and judgmental about the group that you left or the group that you got saved in because you've wound up getting hurt. That's my disclaimer. That was that little asterisk. The rules can be anything can be anything from you must not go to the movies, you must not drink wine, all the way to ladies must not braid their hairs, you must wear makeup, please do. <laughs> Girls can't wear pants, I'm like, you look funny without them. Um, you must wear a suit or dress for church the best you can because God expects your best. Anybody hear these? Susie and I, Susie and I have broken every one of those rules. Fifteen minutes of Bible reading, fifteen minutes of prayer every day is a must. <clears throat> we did our thing hoping that God was really pleased with us because we had listened to us for an hour and a half or half an hour, and then we would grow. If we did our devotion time, we felt pretty good about ourselves spiritually. If we didn't, we felt pretty lousy. Are you giving me a break here? Anybody been there? Listen. I had a member of our church that was Johnny on the spot with his Bible reading. And I got a prophetic word. I know it was God. And I said, like, I got the word of the Lord. And, and, and I, you know, I said, I'm, I'm understanding fasting. And I says, and I believe the Lord is telling me for you to fast and not read your Bible for 40 days. And he basically told me that couldn't be God. He left the church because he was so convinced that the Bible had the power. If you can't live 40 days without reading your Bible for God, you probably aren't saved anyway. What you've done is you've made the Bible your idol and not Christ. Now, you did not hear me disqualify the Bible. What I disqualified was your idol. And then there's fasting. Surely God will be well pleased with me if I fast. Now listen, I am a faster. I can faster faster than most of you. I should fast fasting. I agree with that word. But you know, but you know what is interesting is 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 I've actually heard Susie use that as a testimony that that when God calls me to a major forty day fast, and I've done seven of them, it always moves the hand of God. But let me explain something to you. I have tried fasting when God didn't call me to it. It don't work. It, I mean, you get hungry and you get it's not it's not pretty. So if you're fasting, um outside of the grace stop it please eat and, and if, if if you're calling this fasting and you're just giving up something you don't like anyway that's not fasting <laughs> okay fasting is like master level christianity <laughs> i'll go without meals and do without dessert or show him how much i love him I'm giving these things up because he gave up so much for me. I appreciate what he's done, and I want to grow and become mature. Listen, there is a time the voice of God will speak to you about fasting if that is on his heart. 
Some of you need to fast complaining. Amen. Thank you, Rodney. Deacon, Deacon Rodney, Elder Rodney. <laughs> oh, if you really want to please God, you have to go on and be a witness. And so you armed with a pocket full of tracks and your giant Bible, and you're ready to win the world for Christ. What's happening? We are trusting in our ability to keep the rules, to obey the law. The rules, whether they be in the Bible or added into the Bible by the church over the last hundred years, whatever the rules may be, we are trusting our ability to keep them. We've gone back. We've gone back to the definition of the law, which is God requiring, requiring of me to do something for him. And we can judge our spiritual maturity before God based on our ability to keep the rules. If you keep all the rules, then you must be spiritually mature. Your behavior is the way in which you are judged as in Christ or out of Christ. If you begin to get lax in the rules, then we bring in a word that is not found in the New Testament. Backsliding. It is never a word of the new covenant. It is an old covenant in reference to nations, not individuals. It is a great word to bring condemnation to those who are not keeping the rules perfectly. So, you are backsliding? Are you not keeping the rules good enough? The message I heard growing up could be summed up in this. You aren't doing enough. You need to try harder and do better. Of course, this produces hypocrisies very quickly. It becomes rapidly clear that you can't keep the rules. You discover that whatever you learn in Romans 6 is not working. Sin shall not have dominion over me, and I find that I'm losing my patience. I'm going to really try now because I want to please Jesus. Have you ever become impatient that you are losing your patience? I'm impatient that I have no patience. When you are angry that you are getting angry, now that's real anger. I'm so mad that I'm mad. <laughs> the poor man's now getting desperate because he really does want to be like Jesus. I remember when I read my Bible just for the enjoyment of it and sometimes missed a day was not a big deal. Romans 7, people. They would ask me, have you had your quiet time today? <laughs> Anthony, how many times have I asked you that? Okay. I must keep you accountable is the translation. Um, <clears throat> I'm here to enforce the rules and bring condemnation on you if you do not do it perfectly. I am not here to help you grow or follow through on your intentions. I'm here to remind you how short you're falling. Hey, you on this row here, you don't have to follow rules anymore. I'm not against accountability, but you're holding people accountable to the law or you hold them accountable to the Spirit. How long did you read your Bible today? I don't know. I don't have a stopwatch. <clears throat> You've got to be disciplined. And so I went along with all the stuff I was told. 
And so I would read my Bible for 60 minutes every day. It was like the Bible turned into sand in my mouth, and I was bored to tears. Now, here's the problem. When I first met Jesus, I couldn't read. I had a learning disability. And he said to me, give me an hour every morning. And he introduced me to the Holy Spirit, who was called a teacher. And he would teach me to read. Okay? So I set my alarm clock an hour earlier, and I got up and got my Bible out, introduced myself to the teacher, Holy Spirit. I'm a student. You're the teacher. Let's do this thing. Here's the problem. After six months, I learned to read, and I can read at a fairly good college level, dumb college level maybe. But that requirement was over. But I kept it as a law. And then it was like, oh, man, I have to get up an hour early. No. I had converted what was a request, an invitation from a friend to spend time with him into now I have to. Guess what? We don't have to do anything to please God. I could visit God all day long until someone said that I had to make time for him. <laughs> it's like visiting hours to go see God. I've been trying to see Dan at hours that the hospital will not let me in. They actually have rules. They have a law. And they won't let me. I even tried to pull one. I went to see Ron and Stephanie one time, and they, the COVID was in. There. I said, listen, the family has requested for me to come give last rites, and they let me in. I tried that with Dan, and they said, I guess he's going to die. You know, they won't let me in. You know, <laughs> Bidizing hours. That's what we do. I pray, and I pray, and I pray all around the world, and I pray for everything, and I look at my wife's three minutes. I can pray around the world in three minutes. Every missionary I know, I'm done. I'm like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is the law. That is when you're trying to please God. It doesn't work. You end up crying out, oh, wretched man that I am. And then comes all the rededications and the rededications and the rededications. How many times have you rededicated your life to the same problem that you haven't been able to overcome? More promises and more promises. I will keep the rules. I will keep the law. I will draw all my natural strength to show God that I am very grateful for what he's done. I've heard this so many times. If only I could be strong, more disciplined, that's what I need. Or someone else says, I'm praying night and day that God will give me more power so I can do his will. Are you kidding me? God is not going to make you any stronger. Let me clue you into his purpose. He is, in fact, making you weaker. And the reason you are not stronger is because you are not weak enough. I highlighted that. Did you need me to go backwards and do that again for you? There you go. You're not weak enough. You lost your hopelessness. But when you become weak enough, he'll be strong. For this, for this, that is 
why the law is there. That even though I am in Christ, even though Christ is in my life, if I draw upon my natural resources to seek to please God, I shall fall back into sin and sin and sin. God is not in the business of improving us so that one day he'll be able to act to be able to love like him. Left to ourselves, we will never be able to love like him. This is, this is the keys. The miracle is that he lives his love inside of us. He lives his love inside of us. And so for us to be alive is not us trying to be like Jesus or trying to please God. It is Christ living his life in us as us. We don't see it, so the law must come. The law must keep showing us that we are weak, weaker than we thought. This is a greater potential for anger in you than you ever dreamed. You are far more impatient than you think you are. And therefore, the whole Christian life results itself in continual glorious weakness. It is weakness embraced that says, God, may you live through me in every way. So it's like Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. He did not say, when I am weak, that will lead to strength. He said, in the very moment of weakness, I am strong. Let me just re-roll blunt. Your pride says you don't need his help. Your pride says I can handle this on my own. Your pride says I love enough. I have learned and I am still learning to embrace my weakness and love it. That's the way that God made me and that's the way God intended it. You and I create are created to be in relationship with God and in him to live and move and have our being. Why does the law have nothing to do with the Christian? In the beginning of this chapter, in Romans 7, there is an illustration Paul uses. He gives us a fantasy illustration. Or do, verse, verse 1, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. He's talking to the Jews. And the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not in adultery. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we are living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Uh-oh. See the shift? The Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. 
First, you have a husband. This husband is absolutely perfection. This is the, I'm, I'm describing you what he just said. He knows exactly what he wants and is very quick to say exactly what he wants. He demands, his demands are endless. From the moment this poor wife opens her eyes until she drifts to sleep, her husband has the demands of absolute perfection. Anybody been married to that guy? Well, there was too many of you answered that. Holy moly. But to fulfill these demands, he gives her no help at all. I'm looking at my, in my spirit, I'm seeing my honeydew list. Anyway, um, she is very frustrated about it because all, all that he is demanding. She must be honest. He is not unreasonable. He is, he is really right. The wife in this illustration is the very opposite of her husband. She is not the per, per picture of perfection. She's extremely clumsy. She, she trips over everything. Every time she tries to serve him what he wants, she drops it or spills it. This poor, clumsy woman who is never able to do what her husband demands, she meets with her husband on many occasions and makes promises that this time is going to be different. But as she gets up from the chair, she falls over the table and she spills it on the carpet. She can't stand her husband now. She just wishes the man would die so she could marry somebody else. This is a bad marriage. But the man won't die. <laughs> There's this Pentecostal church in West Virginia. Pentecostal church in West Virginia. And <clears throat> the, devil, the devil showed up on the platform. Said, I'm the devil, and everybody runs except this old man in the back. And the devil says to this old man, he says, How come you didn't run when you knew I was the devil? And he goes, Ain't scared of you. He goes, Why? And he goes, Because I married your sister. <laughs> but the man won't die. And so she dies. Hello. She dies. And in another dimension, I underlined that, she marries someone else. And that someone else, his demands are even higher than her first husband. The only difference is he does it all for her. He makes sure it's all done, and he just loves her and gives her all the ability and adequacies to do what he has demanded. What's it about? You and I are in the old age. We were married to the law of God. There is no more demanding husband than the law of God. You can't do this. You must do that. You must do this. You must go there. Do this. Demands, demands, demands. <clears throat> Can you ever please that husband? Whatever you did was wrong. We tripped over every demand he made. Every time we tried to fulfill it, it was to no use. We live a life of clumsiness. We dreamed if only the law would go away, if only the law would die. I'm sorry, the law will never die. Because the law is the expression of God's holiness. There's nothing wrong with the law at all. The law is beautiful. 
The law is holy. The law is right. The law is a tenfold manifestation of God's righteousness. The law will not die, so I'm stuck with this. If the law won't die, we can. And so, united to Jesus in his finished work, we looked at it last week, 18 times in Romans 6, the word die was used. As Jesus died to the old age, as Jesus takes you and I into himself and, and exits at the age at the age by death. I die to my old husband, the law, and I rise again in a new dimension of the body of Christ, the new age, the new man, the new operating system. So we preached last week. And in the miracle, we are married to Christ, the new husband. And he does not, and he does not let down on any of his demands of the law. In fact, he, his demands are summed up in one word, love even as God loves. But he doesn't just command us. He, be, he, become, he becomes to us our very life. And being our life expressions love through us and achieves everything the law has ever, was ever after. But not by struggling to keep it, but by his life expressing through us. The law means that God requires something of me. It means that some doing on my part must be fulfilled. When if in Christ we have died to the law and are now joined to Jesus, it means that we are delivered from doing. That's what it means. We are delivered from doing. I am now exempt from trying to keep the law. He achieved what it was after in me and through me. I am delivered from doing. To please God, I do not have to read my Bible every day. To please God, I do not have to pray every day. To please God, I don't even have to go to church at all, but you need to. To please God, I do not have to witness to another person. To please God, I do not have to try to keep any of the Ten Commandments. I've been exempt from all doing, and I'm living from a new principle now. Not a principle of law, but a principle of life. Christ has come to live in me, and I now recognized forever my complete inability to keep the law. And so in my helplessness, I live out of the life that is Christ in me. But now I feel that I love to read the Word of God. I don't have to. I want to. Ron explained to my boss when he says, hey, I, I love Christ, but I can't do what you do. And Ron, Ron sat there and he goes, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. He goes, you've been talking to people, and you feel that little pull of your heartstring? Yeah, and he goes, that's God. Then he said, quit being a pansy. Pansy. We were in a cigar shop. Pansy works. What was he saying? You know when God is pulling on your heart. You know when it's time to speak to somebody. You know when it's time to witness. Quit going out there and witnessing to everybody who doesn't, that God's not pulling on your heartstrings. Because that's fear-mongering most of the time. That's to get another soul saved to make you feel good. But if we'll be sensitive to the Spirit of God, <laughs> He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's going to pull on your heartstrings. And that's really what Ron was explaining to my boss. And he had to admit, yeah, 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 there is. He goes, then get out of yourself and share 
your love of Christ. I now want to go together with people who have like-minded to praise God. I've discovered that there is <clears throat> rising within me a daily, hourly prayer of praise. In fact, life becomes my prayer. There are times when I want to shut the door of my office and stay there for an hour, and I might even call it my quiet time. There are times when I want to fast, not much. I don't have to, but I want to. Why? Because I do know it moves the hand of God. But let me tell you something. I know that I want to hear his voice ask me. Because if he's asking me, there's a grace for it. Otherwise, you're on a diet. And diets don't work. Instead of trying to keep the law, I now find that there is one person inside of me, and he is love. He expresses himself through me in love, and that is the law that was after I was after all the time. The law is not achieved by me trying to achieve it. It is achieved by another just being himself in me and through me. I do not understand what I'm getting. <laughs> do you not understand what I'm getting at? In this new age, in this body of Christ, it is not a matter of what we do for God. The whole thing is us living the, the helpless out of another who is in us. Romans 8, uh, 13, 8, where he talks about the same thing in another context. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and any other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. Love is a fulfillment of law. When I say that we are no longer to do the law, I want you to understand exactly what I mean. I do not mean that Christ in you strengthens you so that you in his strength can keep the law. When I say Christ is in me as my strength, I do not mean that Christ in me strengthens my natural self, my natural resources, so that I now, with his strength, can go to the law. What I'm saying is that we forget the law altogether. He's done. It is done. It, it has reduced us to despair. And is over now. Now Christ in us is love. And that is what the law was after. I look back to those dear people who gave me those rules. Why did they give me these rules? Why did they tell me I have to have a quiet time every day? They really believed that if I did so, some of these things, that my love for God and my ability to love people would increase. Their hearts were right. <clears throat> Why did they tell me to witness? So that you would love my, so that I would love my neighbor more. They were desperately seeking and trying to keep rules to achieve love. When Paul play, says, "Discard the rules," the Holy Spirit inside of you is the love of God, and spontaneously express, expressed will be the love for your neighbor and to God. We are living under a new principle. We achieve achieve what the rules were after but we achieve it independently of the rules. 
to put this in practical terms, it means that if you understand what I'm saying, then from now on, you do nothing in order to please God. I've given up trying to please God, realizing that Christ is in my life and is the pleasure of God. It used to be that we lived to God, we lived for we used to be that we lived to God, we lived for God. We saw that in order to please God, we had to do something. So we drew out of our natural self and our natural strength to do something to please him. Now we are living from Christ within. So instead of living to or for God, we're living from God. Christianity is not a struggle to become something. It is a choice to let Jesus be. For I know for I know the things for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. That part of me that is weak and frail apart from divine influence, apart from the influence of the spirit, there is no good thing. For I have the desire to do what is right, because I am powerless to do this without Christ. I just don't have the ability to carry it out when I try to do that apart from completely depending on Christ. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. How many have heard of the ministry Oxpen? Good. Anthony, close it. Hey, Stephanie. Yeah, Charlie asked me before service said, he goes, I want you to finish this up, and I want an altar call. And I said, okay. And I was writing some stuff down. It just it goes with what we're talking about, and it's good. Um, worship this morning was great. I mean, it was, I, I love worship here. No, he did not tell me. He told me I had six minutes, but I'm going to try to go independently from the law on that six-minute thing for a little bit. <laughs> but it'll be quick, I promise. Um, God, and we, listen, we all do this. And this is not a criticism of anything because we have all been in a spot. And it's not a bad spot. It's right where God wants us. And as he starts to reveal things to us, we kind of start to understand at a different level. I don't think anybody, I think everyone in here is a believer. So I don't need to do an altar call for salvation today, right? Um, but as we grow in our understanding, none of us probably believe what we believed six months ago now. We have new God's revealing, revealing, right? And as we were doing worship this morning, I'm sitting there and writing and, and this is what I wrote. And then I'll, finish up. I, I said, Jesus does not require a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. We do not lay our lives down for him. 
he laid his life down for us. You cannot give someone something that already belongs to them unless you stole it. The salvation experience is an understanding of the good news that Christ took care of all sin. Jesus did not purchase us. To purchase something means you did not possess it before. We've always belonged to God. Jesus redeemed us. We've always belonged to our creator. Whether we follow him or not, we are and have always been and always will be his creation. Yeah, that means the people outside of this building that don't acknowledge God, don't love him, don't want anything to do with him. He created them, every single one of them. And he wants them desperately not to be a robot and to follow him, but to receive his love. Even before Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God knew that man would eventually eat of it and would die. God didn't say, Adam, if you eat of this, he says, when you eat of this, you'll die. It was, okay, then I said, Jesus was never a plan B. Jesus died for us before the foundation of the earth in a weird mystical way, which we don't understand, and that's okay. But Adam and Eve had to eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Stop blaming other people for your predicaments in life. I mean, the men blame Eve, the women blame Adam, and we need to just understand that it happened and it, it happened. It had to happen. You know, I used to, whenever, when I first became a Christian and people would talk about Jesus on the cross and the Romans doing these things and how horrible it was, I'd always be like, thank God Jesus was on the cross and died for my sin. I could never get sad and cry about it because it's like, whoa, that saved me. Salvation, perhaps, is merely an acceptance of a truth rather than a laying down of your life. A realization that Christ laid down his life rather than making a decision to die to yourself, having the understanding that his death gave you life and that abundantly. And then God said to me something interesting. One of the first scriptures I ever learned from Charlie Coker was 2 Corinthians 5.17, which you've been preaching about. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, all has become new. And God said, listen, I want you to tell everybody in this room, they are not new creations. When you first became a Christian, you were a new creation, but you ain't new anymore. There ain't nothing new about your creation. You're a creation. That happened long ago, the day you accepted the reality of Christ, what he accomplished on the cross. No, you are much more than a new creation. You are a seasoned, powerful, perfect, fully redeemed, fully anointed, completely forgiven ambassador, and you are the carrier of the Holy Spirit on earth. I, 
I've, I've, I've said so many times on this new creation and, and up until an hour ago, I fully believed it. And then God said, no, 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 stop that. You're using that as an excuse for so many things in your life that you haven't figured me out yet. And you'll never figure me out until you realize that you're seasoned, Anthony. One time God told me, and I put this up on Facebook a few weeks ago, I had gone through some struggles and I said, God, you know, am I even, am I even redeemable God? And he said, no, you're already redeemed. I can't redeem something I've redeemed. Understand. And so as we begin to process this, and as Charlie preached today, it was so awesome. And he, and, and, and he took stuff that, 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 that's been on my heart and stuff, and he put it in ways I can't put it and stuff. And, and what, I'll, what I tell people is, listen, it's not about your ability to hold on to God. It's about his ability to hold on to you that saves you. I don't read the Bible so I can get closer to God. I realize how close God is to me, so why do I not want to read the Bible? It's just perspective changes, and we all need it. And six months from now, I'll have a new perspective, and so will you, and that's amazing. And so then I looked up on, online, because listen, our church is not really an altar call church very often, right? I mean, we go and sin no more, and we just go and sin and then come back, right? <laughs> but, we, but I also want to tell you something. Listen, none of us in this room are sinners saved by grace. That's a lie from the pit of hell. We are saints who sometimes sin. But as those scriptures said today, my sin's not held against me any longer. Is that an excuse to go sin? Of course not. But am I going to? Of course I am. And if you think you're not, then you're fooling yourself. But there is something about dying to self, which I understand. And what dying to self, what I understand it to be is dying to your own thoughts and opinions about yourself. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what Charlie thinks about me. I don't care what I think about me. It matters what he says about me. He says I'm perfect. He says I'm completely loved. He says I'm free from the things I still struggle in. And I just got to receive it by faith and keep walking it out. It ain't easy being Gracie. <laughs> I don't know. But an altar call... Oh, you know, yes, it ain't easy. I was going to say cheesy, but this is not cheesy. This is reality, you know. But um, so an altar call is typically a time where you call people up and, and they come and bring a sacrifice to the altar. But Jesus bought every sacrifice that we could ever bring to anything. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do is stand up. And I'm going to ask you, to come down to the altar, not to sacrifice anything you have, but as an understanding that his sacrifice took care of it all. And I want you to come to this place, and I'm going to ask Charlie and Ron to pray for people, that we will not have an understanding that we need salvation or that we're imperfect or that we are, and you know, if you're going through something in your life, yeah, throw it down here. The biggest thing you can throw down here is your opinion of yourself. Please toss it, whether it's high or low. Because you are not known by your successes and you will not be known by your failures in eternity. You will be known by being a son of God or a daughter of God, whatever you want to call it. 
So as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you guys to come down here and we're going to pray together. I'm just going to start. You'll know it. I don't even need the music then. <clears throat> and I rewrote a little bit of the words to it. So I'll just <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> you all know this song, but I just kind of tweaked it a little bit. What? Oh, no, no. I did this at Charlie's house. I wrote this. Okay, that's fine. Jesus loves me. This I know. For my life has shown me so. Even when I'm feeling down on my head, he puts a crown. Oh, how you love me. Oh, how you love me. Lord, you love me more than I could ever love you. And that's the mystery of the gospel. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to identitychurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages. Read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.